Thank you, everyone, for listening to the Detroit Bad Boys podcast. Coming to you on Thursday, right in the middle of the NBA playoffs, the first round. It's been a great first round so far. Uh, some great basketball. Too bad our Pistons are not part of it. But it does give us an opportunity to start to look at the offseason, especially with our team missing the playoffs. We have to think there are some changes coming. SVG has said as much. And that's what brings us to this episode. Ben Galker and myself have an open conversation about our team, the state of the Pistons, and what we're looking at going into this very crucial offseason for the organization. An offseason that will also bring the Pistons into downtown Detroit. Some exciting things on the horizon for the franchise, and definitely a good time to break bread and talk about our team. Hope you enjoy this episode, and as always, thank you for continuing to support the podcast. The best way to continue to support the podcast is to share, like, comment. Please leave comments on iTunes. It's a great way for us to continue to build our brand. And follow us on DetroitBadBoys.com, the home for this podcast, and home for all Pistons news throughout the offseason. You're going to like this one. This is a good conversation. Ben definitely brings that on this episode. A lot of great info for you. With that being said, it's time to go to work. So back after a short hiatus, we have quite a bit to talk about now that the NBA season uh, is it's it's over. The regular season has come to an end. The Pistons find themselves in the outside of the playoff picture. Uh, the last time this podcast was recorded, we were still fighting, starting to lose some faith and a little bit of hope in the team and what we were seeing. And I think the last time we talked, Ben, we were outside the playoff picture and now officially finished the season um, as I think the... Was it tenth team in the East? All right. Yeah, I think it was tenth, and it was only like a, a couple games back, so there was still a chance. Right, right. So there, just a couple games out of the playoffs. That's right. Uh, and tenth overall in the East. So we have quite a bit to talk about, Ben. I'm excited that we're we're back and and uh, have quite a bit to talk about right before the playoffs start. Yeah, absolutely. Let's do this. Yeah. So let's start with the Pistons and how the season ended. Uh, definitely not what many of us expected in the preseason, not what many of us expected through the first 25 games or so, uh, especially when Reggie Jackson was first coming back. Uh, there are kind of some interesting markers to this season, and I know we've talked throughout a lot of them, Ben, but coming into this last 10 games of the season, after the team had a bit of a losing streak and there were conversations about do we tank or don't we tank, uh, and clearly the team made the decision in the last five that they found themselves outside of the playoff picture and wanted to see what they had. Uh, so just kind of take me through what you saw in the last five to ten games and what you thought of the decision to kind of fold the season in with about five games remaining. Yeah, so starting with the last five, I, I thought that was the right move. Um, I, I think Ellenson is a guy who's obviously very raw and needed, needed a chance to perform against NBA competition. Um, we've had the benefit of listening to Jacob tell us a little bit about his D-League performance, and, and Jacob was a little bit skeptical, and, and I saw some of his reasons for being skeptical, uh, but also saw some reasons for optimism. Uh, so I think that was a good thing, giving him a chance to play. And then obviously the other big thing, um, Hilliard got some minutes, but to me the big thing was the big man. Uh, I, I think Boban proved that he's capable of producing 
at 20 to 25 minutes a night at, at something like his monstrous per 36 numbers, right? Like you look at his per 36 or per 48 or per 100 possessions, however you want to break that down. Uh, looking at per 36, he's just a beast. Twenty, Almost 24 points a game, 16 boards a game, 55% shooting. Um, his last five games or so, if you go back and look at that on a per 36 basis, he's basically right on par with all of those numbers. So uh, Boban's a beast, and um, it, you know it bothers me. I, I harped on him a little bit during the podcast. I tweeted about it all season. Boban should have been playing those backup center minutes much, much sooner. Um, so to me, those are the things that stick out. Those last five to ten games, we found out that Boban can be probably the best backup center in the NBA. Uh, we found out that Ellenson is super raw but has some really interesting skills. And I, I think that's a good result. And the team also managed to win a couple games. So, you know, we'll see if that matters in terms of lottery balls or whatever. But uh, th- those are two positive takeaways from really a pretty disastrous, what, 15 to 20 game stretch to close the season. Definitely. Going back to Boban for a minute, this was, of course, the second San Antonio Spurs backup center that we brought along. And we still have the other one. We still have Aaron Baines. <laughs> and now he has a player option that he's going to have to consider this offseason of $6.5 million. Going into this season, it seemed he would opt out. He would take the money that would be available on open market. But now it seems he might be worth somewhere around that, you know, six to eight, maybe. I saw someone say that they don't see him getting 10, uh, but six to eight million seem fair for Aaron Baines. So he very well may stay in Detroit. If he does stay and we find ourselves with Boban, Baines, and Drummond, how would you break up the minutes next season with those three players at the center spot? Gosh, to me, to me, Boban proved that his best basketball is way better than Aaron Baines' best basketball. There's obviously some odd defensive situations. Um, You know, Boban can't move his feet really well. But his length makes up for at least some of that, right? Like, I mean, you put him in the pick and roll, and all he has to do is take two strides, right, from the top of the key, and he's at the basket. So, yeah, he's slow, but his length length is uh, pretty – pretty extraordinary. So I think he's able to make up for some of that. So to me, you know, I think it's a battle between Drubbin and Boban for who's the closer. Um, Boban, obviously a fantastic free throw shooter, uh, fantastic around the rim on, I think, both sides of the court. Um, The thing he doesn't have is, is Baines' foot speed, right? Baines is, I think, the superior defender in the pick and roll. I think that's why SVG stayed with him you know, for so much of the season. But to me, I I would point out the Pistons were, depending on if you're looking at NBA.com or basketball reference, they're a top 10 defense in terms of points allowed per 100 possessions. And they're a bottom third, right, in in terms of their offense and and their productivity on the offensive side of the ball. So to me, that decision in and of itself, I look at the second unit, I look at the entire team's struggle to score all season long, and you've got to a fantastic weapon in a guy like Boban. So to me, he's playing at minimum 15 minutes a night. And if he's playing well, maybe he's playing more than that. And Drummond's going to have to fight for minutes in the fourth quarter. I think that's how good he was. Now, now does that hold up for 82 games? That's obviously the question. But I, I think going into the first 20 games of next season, that's the experiment you have to run. And that makes Baines the odd man out if he chooses to opt in. And I think you live with that. Um, I think you live with that, and you hope maybe you can flip him for a, 
a second rounder for someone looking to add uh, a backup big and, and you, you roll with it because I think that gives you the best chance to win. And then in those situations where teams go small, you still have John Luer, who, you know, disappointing season, and we can talk about John a little bit more later. I, I think maybe you would run John Luer in those situations where you need a big guy who's more mobile. Yeah, I completely agree. And just back on Boban for a second, a complete revelation. I completely agree with you. And I think you're right. It's worth at least attempting to see what he can do with his second unit in a more normalized rotation spot. He never had that this season. And even in the last, you know, few games of the season, it's difficult to know what he would have been like as a rotation piece because he never really built that chemistry with the players he was he was next to on the floor. I never really got to see the Ish Smith Boban pick and roll that I was so looking forward to in this preseason. We got to see a little bit of it uh, against Orlando, getting to see kind of a, a little bit of a screen and roll action that they uh, attempted against Orlando. But it was nothing that I expected how we would use Boban. And it's a frustration I have with Stan Van Gundy. But you're right, going into next season, hopefully we commit to him more and also commit to the idea of John Luer at center. I think it's worth now talking about John Luer. Uh, what were your overall impressions of his first season in Detroit, and do you regret at all that contract? Because I know that's something I've seen recently, is a lot of regret about the decision to sign Luer to multi-year deal. So I'm still a John Luer fan. I think even the greatest three-point shooters in the history of basketball their three-point percentage from year to year is, is highly volatile. I mean, you look at a guy like Reggie Miller, one of the all-time great shooters, and you'll see three-point shooting percentages all over the map. And unfortunately for John, that's just what happened to him this season. Um, fantastic season shooting the ball last year, up over 38% this year, just over 29%. So a serious drop-off. But I, I thought everywhere else, he produced fairly well. His, his two-point shooting was actually up. It was a, a career year in terms of his two-point shooting percentage. And then there are things I like about his game that don't necessarily show up in the box score. I think he's a competent defender, and I do like the way he hits the glass. I think he's a, he's a solid rebounder. I wish there had been more opportunities to use him as the stretch five. I think Van Gundy was so committed to Baines, and I think maybe stubbornly committed to Baines at the five. We didn't get really a chance to see him and Tobias play much together at the four or five, and I think that could have been interesting. Uh, but I think all he has to do is shoot 35% from three next year, and everything looks different in terms of his his cap uh, situation, in terms of how it impacts the team's ability to make other deals. And I think you know if he's knocking down the three-point shot, that has a pretty significant impact on the team's offense and really one of the worst three-point shooting teams in the league all season. That's a big reason why the Pistons were so bad offensively. But the other thing to keep in mind about Lure's contracts is it's declining, right? So this is the most he's ever going to make as a Piston, uh, and the caps are going to go up. So that's a team-friendly contract for the Pistons, and that's that's a really nice trade asset to have because if he does bounce back and shoot 35% from deep, a guy who rebounds and shoots the ball like that, he's going to be coveted. Teams are going to want him at $10 million and less a season. Yeah, I, I agree with you, that, and that's something that's still valuable. And I think that's a great point about three-point shooting, and it's something to keep in mind uh, with him and also with Marcus Morris, who I'm sure we'll talk about, that it's difficult to judge just on one season your shooting numbers and then how to project that over what your career is going to be. Um, 
I, I'm happy with what we saw out of Lure for the most part. It would have been great to see more um, more of him at the five, and I, I agree. That's, that's kind of what I'm missing was using his versatility, being that he was a plus rebounder for his position and that he could stretch the floor. Why not use that in some different lineup combinations? And that was kind of my expectation because if you go back to last year's first round, against the Cavs, you saw the Pistons trying to find their own lineup of death, right? That was part of what they tried to do in that four, in the four games against Cleveland was find a small ball lineup that worked. We go out and sign John Luer. It seemed perfect that he would fit into that role of being the four five guy that could help us in small ball situations. We never really saw it come to fruition this season. Do you see a reason for that? Or was it maybe just stubbornness on the part of Van Gundy? Yeah, so SVG, the coach, to me, is pretty inferior to SVG, the roster builder. And I've brought this up time and again. But the thing that, to me, was was really frustrating was his his commitment to Aaron Baines. You know, look, I know Aaron is a good defender. He plays hard. He does exactly what you want him to do. He's a good locker room guy. He's a good teammate. And all of those sorts of things. But... Over and over and over again, press conference after press conference after press conference, I would hear Van Gundy talk about defense and say almost nothing about offense. And when I looked at the numbers game after game and then over time after 20 games, 30 games, 40 games, it was clear to me that this team was overachieving defensively just as it's done every year under Van Gundy. And the offense was underachieving dramatically. And so to me, he was just committed to the guys who would play defense in spite of the fact that the offense was the reason the Pistons weren't winning. And to me, Aaron Baines was kind of the example of that, right? A guy who, you know, he, he can do things offensively. But to me, the most the boldest thing SVG did, did all season was move Tobias to the bench. And I think there were a lot of missed opportunities because of the versatility. You know, like a lineup of Lure, Tobias and Marcus and KCP and Ish Smith, that's a that's a get up and go sort of lineup, and we really didn't see it. So to me, some of the the stubbornness of sticking to rotations that it seems like he decided in preseason were gonna be the rotations he was gonna stick to, and not changing until seventy games into the season was a real missed opportunity to capitalize on some of the good roster building that he did during the summer. Definitely, and I think uh, part part of where you saw that stubbornness, uh, I don't know if I want to jump right to the backcourt. I was going to start talking about Reggie Jackson. Um, yeah, let's let's do it. We'll talk about Reggie. Um, I think part of that stubbornness came with the decision to bring back Reggie the way he did and then the minutes that Reggie was given. Uh, and when things were not working offensively the way many expected with this team, you saw Stan Van just stick to the same script, and it became very predictable the way we were playing, how we were dividing up our minutes, and I think we made for a pretty easy opponent at certain points during this season, and that's something that I worry about when I think about Van Gundy, the coach. You're right, because he has done a very nice job of taking a roster that people have to remember a few years ago was an absolute shambles, was in about the worst position you can be in the NBA, which is bad but not terrible. And we didn't really have any sort of future to, to get excited about except for some, you know, draft picks between 7 and 10 that turned into Andre and KCP and Brandon Knight. Um, I, I guess 
what he was able to do in just a few years is fantastic. But now he he really is going to be tested. I think next season uh, with what he can do as a coach, and I think a lot of that this year rested on how this situation with Reggie Jackson played out. Yeah, and I mean, I, I hate to blame it all on Reggie because I, I, I'm i not the biggest Reggie Jackson fan, so I admittedly come at this with a bit of bias. But to me, he's the single biz- biggest reason the Pistons struggled. And I don't think there's any way around it. He was not fully healthy when he came back. The team was 11-10. and 10. They had just come off a, a pretty significant winning streak. I think they were like 5-10 and 10 or 6-10 and, and and rattled off a few wins in a row. Um, Ish was starting to really play well and starting to understand what it meant to be a point guard in this rotation. And not only did they rush Reggie back when he obviously wasn't healthy, they threw him into the starting lineup right away and disrupted all of the chemistry that it took those 21 games to build. And I don't think the team ever really figured itself out again after Reggie Jackson came back. And that's not all because of Reggie and his struggles. It was just a disruptive event. It was um, you know, a pick-and-roll team for a full season and a half under Reggie Jackson. You bring Ish Smith in, and you have to retool on the fly and go to a motion offense using KCP and Tobias as sort of centerpieces of that. And then 21 games in, go back to being a pick-and-roll team, and it just never worked. And I think... You know, in hindsight, it's obviously easy to criticize everything when, you, when you've got hindsight, and that's 2020. But I, I don't think the Pistons ever recovered from game 22 onward. It was just too jarring of an experience. And I think, you know, the boldest thing Ben Gundy did was move Tobias to the bench. What he should have done is move Reggie to the bench. And what he should have done is waited until Reggie was 100%, because they were a winning team 21 games in. They could have gone to the All-Star break at 500 brought Reggie back at 100%, and how different does the season look if that happens? And I, I think Van Gundy really has to to own that. That that was his decision. That was his mistake. And I think 10 games in of Reggie Jackson's season, it was clear that he wasn't right. He wasn't 100%. He wasn't the player he was a year ago. Uh, and he just was too stubborn, I think, to admit it. Uh, and I think we saw this at the end of the season. When they, they shot Reggie down, immediately the Pistons were more competitive. And again, that's not all on Reggie Jackson. It's just because he was such a big part of the offense when he was on the floor, and he was nowhere close to 100%. So, yeah, I mean, to me, that's Van Gundy, the coach. Even if Reggie Jackson is 100%, there's the issue of predictability. What are the Pistons going to be when it's Andre Drummond, Reggie Jackson, pick and roll? with mediocre shooters, right? There's got to be something else that you go to, uh, but then compound that with the fact that Reggie wasn't himself and Van Gundy just tried to push it through anyway. And I think that's a a big, big part, maybe the single biggest reason why the Pistons were just a shadow of what they were a season ago. Yeah, and before we start to talk about some of the changes we could see, and Stan Van has already started to call for, there being some some possible changes to this team this offseason. Uh, I want to talk about one of the guys we both agree needs to stay, and that's Ish Smith and the job he was able to do as a backup point guard and really the job he was able to do as a you know fill-in starting point guard, uh, playing alongside Reggie Jackson, splitting his minutes. I mean, this was a difficult season for Ish Smith when you really think about it. Uh, he didn't really have a lot of... Uh, never never had a, a, a fixed position with this team. It was constantly changing due to the injury uh, and then some tinkering to the lineup. 
So I'm happy keeping him as a backup point guard, and I, it seems that you are too. What is it about Ish that you like going forward, keeping him as a backup point guard? Yeah, Ish totally won me over this season. I was a skeptic. Uh, I, I, his shooting obviously is what it is. It's not going to get any better. That was the main reason I was so skeptical. Um, but I did not appreciate several things about his game that I think Van Bauer definitely were keyed into. Uh, he is so sneaky quick. He gets from 0 to 100 in a step or two. Uh, and that helps in the half court, and it helps in transition both. He's able to to get the outlet pass and go. Uh, and that's something you'd love to have right off the bench. Just a total change of pace, assuming Reggie Jackson is back next season, which I'm sure he will be. Reggie doesn't really push the ball. Uh, so Ish gives us a, a little bit of contrast. The other thing he's really good at is probing the defense with the intent to pass, but doing just enough looking for himself to keep defenses honest. He's very good at um, sort of maneuvering on the fly and sort of ad-libbing when things break down, and he's quick enough to beat guys off the dribble, and you have to be in order to to be good at that sort of thing. So uh, to me, those are the two things that I just love to watch about him. He gets the ball and he goes, and in the half court, he, he gets to places on the court with the intent of creating opportunities for his teammates and I don't think you can ask for more out of a guy like Ish, whose off, own offense is obviously limited, but just sort of relishes that role of being the floor general, understand where the spots on the floor are, where the defense is vulnerable, and then finding guys who, um, you know, unfortunately he didn't have great shooters around him, but finding guys and putting them in a position to be effective in their own right. Yeah, definitely. Um and I, I think one, you're right that being as deceptively quick as he is, he was just a lot of fun to watch. And as a fan going through this season and not having a lot to root for at times, he was someone that I at least was excited was on the floor. He seemed engaged, whether it was on the sideline or in game. I think he was a good teammate from you know all optics and everything I can kind of read into this season. That's someone you want to keep on your team. And he also proved that in mop-up duty, he can do a fine job if you're forced to play him 25, 30 minutes a night. And if you have a starting point guard, he can fill in and work the bench just fine. And I think that's exactly what we should be looking for out of a backup. So I'm I'm, I'm happy that uh, we uh, signed him and now have him hopefully going forward, uh, unless there really is a fire sale this offseason that I know some people are calling for. So let's talk a little bit about that. I know both of us can be difficult on Reggie Jackson sometimes. Uh, and you were talking about the predictability of this team, especially when it comes to the Jackson Drummond pick and roll and what that action means for the offense. And we got to see moments where the Pistons ran a little bit more motion offense, went away from the point guard having the ball in his hands so often with Ish Smith on the court. And it definitely seemed to provide a spark to the offense. Do you see Reggie Jackson as a Piston next season with all the issues we've had and, and, and everything that uh, we've, we've kind of put into the predictability and everything else? Or is it time to move on? So many mixed feelings about this question. The first question, is he going to be a Piston next season? I, I think at the start of the season, absolutely without question. I don't think his trade value could be any lower I think if if you're going to get anything back for him in a trade, he has to go out there and prove that he's healthy, right? That he can be the player who was instrumental in, in leading the 
the team to a position where they thought they could fight for 50 wins this season, right? Um, if, if Van Gundy remains committed to Reggie as the point guard, assuming he's healthy, then he has, he meaning Van Gundy has to do something about the roster and the roster shooting. Because I think, you know, the Reggie Jackson, Andre Drummond pick and roll becomes so predictable because no one on the Pistons can shoot. Literally nobody. I mean, uh, sort of an unsung anti-hero this season was Reggie Bullock being injured so much. He led the team in three-point percentage at over 38%, but he only played in 30, 31 games, right? So he was missing in action. KCP started the season shooting the ball really well. Ended the season shooting terribly. Landed at 35%. Second best three-point shooter on the Pistons this season. None other than Reggie Jackson at 36%. And then other than KCP, no one else is even above 35%, right? So the Pistons, if if you're going to run a pick and roll with Reggie and Andre, if you're going to surround them with sub-35% three-point shooters, the only possible outcome is predictability, right? You just sag off and you let... The Pistons three-point shooters beat you on the one game in four where they're going to shoot well, in my opinion. So to me, you can't answer that, is Reggie Jackson going to be a Piston? And are the Pistons going to build around the Andre-Reggie pick and roll without also talking about the fact that they have no shooters, right? Even KCP, the guy we're talking about giving a max contract to, 35% from deep. That's nowhere close to good enough for a team that's going to be need to have floor spacing at least two perimeter positions other than the point guard if you're going to run the pick and roll. So, yeah, I'm hard on Reggie a lot of times because I'm not a huge fan of his. But in his defense, he's in probably the worst position he could possibly be, not 100% and surrounded by guys that can't shoot the ball, making the pick and roll totally and completely predictable. So it's a complex question because it's not just about Reggie. It's not just about Andre. It's about the entire makeup of the roster. If you're going to be committed to a guy who runs a pick and roll, you have to be committed to building the roster. And SVG has the authority to do this, right? He's the president. You have to be committed to building a roster that complements that sort of play. Definitely. And what I would really like to see is Stan Van get back to his roots. That's what's so strange about the stats you just uh, – all, all the stats you just said – What's really bizarre is this is the guy that took a team to the finals that included players in his time with Orlando like J.J. Redick and Courtney Lee, Hito Turkoglu, Richard Lewis, and built a style of basketball that became so popular. It's much of what we see now in the NBA, and it seems he's gotten away with that with a bit of the roster construction and not having plus shooters and not drafting those types of players uh, that can be lights-out shooters. I guess I'm not seeing enough of that from Stan, and I would like to see a little bit more this offseason, and I think it starts with a draft, but you're right. It also is bringing in more shooters around Drummond and around Jackson if he does start the season. I think there's a chance he doesn't, and I just want to throw this out there. I think there's a very real possibility that we find ourselves in a position, maybe draft day, where we're willing to take on some bad contracts to move on from the Reggie Jackson situation. And it's not a great situation for the Pistons, but if the relationship is that damaged, it might be something where we may have to just cut ties. And we saw that we're not getting much in terms of production out of him. And that could have been because of injury, but if we're at a point where the relationship's so broken, we might just have to move on. Uh, And one possible landing spot I'll throw out there is Indiana. Indiana's, 
Indiana's going to try to make a play to keep Paul George this offseason. Uh, he'll be facing his free agency in two summers, and they're they're friendly. Indiana has some bad contracts. Monte Ellis, Al Jefferson, some guys that could that could easily move. There's a couple packages you could work there. Wouldn't be surprised if someone like Indiana comes to the table for Reggie Jackson and maybe is willing to buy very low because I think you're right. The stock is going to be very low for Reggie this offseason. Yeah, and you know the other factor in this is how much pressure is SVG under to get back into the playoffs a year from now, right? I mean, I think it would be foolish for Gores to move on from SVG this summer. I think the likelihood of that is basically nothing. But, you know, I think SVG was on a five-year contract when he was initially brought on, if he doesn't make the playoffs again next season, you know he's not going to be here for the duration. So you'd have to think he'd be motivated to improve the roster. And then I think the other thing we just don't know as fans is what is that locker room like right now? And what was that players-only team meeting really about? And And what are the relationships like among the players and between the players and among the players and the coaches, right? So all of those things you brought up is the relationship damaged those are all factors we don't get to see, but I, I think we'll probably have a, a pretty big impact on what happens with Reggie. Yeah, that's very true. Well, I mean, I think it's worth mentioning Stanley Johnson. Um, I think, you know, Stanley, obviously everyone knows he struggled, had a, had a bad season, sub, sub 30% from deep, 35% from two, and then all of the eye test things we've talked about a lot just didn't even look like the same player. Um, he's too young to move on from, and you can't really get anything back for him. But if you could, I'd be willing to do it. Um, Ellenson, you know, we saw so little of him, even in the last several games. But I, I think we saw why Van Gundy drafted him. You know, obviously the kid's only 20 years old, and I think he's very pretty recently 20. Uh, but he's a guy in the mold of, like, the Richard Lewis sort of stretch for so I think there are reasons to be optimistic about him as a project. Uh, the other guy that I am ready to move on from is Marcus Morris. Um, I know he's a he's a favorite of Van Gundy, um, but I should put it this way. I'm ready to move on from Marcus Morris as the starting small forward. I would be fine with him as a sixth or seventh man in the second unit. Um, but 33% shooting, he seems to be a mid-range specialist, which does not fit with a pick-and-roll-oriented offense. Um, the Pistons have to upgrade at small, at starting small forward and move Marcus to the bench or, or move on, and I think they would be better for it. Did you get to watch any of the national championship? Yeah, absolutely. Justin Jackson, North Carolina? Well, yeah. <laughs> Wouldn't he make a great Piston? I think oh, that's yeah. our, our small forward of the future. Oh, um, yeah, that would be fantastic. And, and where he's you know currently falling on mock drafts and, and from the things that I, I try to keep up on with the draft, uh, he, might, he may very well be available, too, at the end of the lottery. So well, Yeah, so he's a little bit older, so that works against him, right? So for whatever reason, exactly. people don't want to draft juniors who are really productive. So Right, and he's a player that got better every season, too, which you like to see. Yeah. Uh, similar to maybe someone like Buddy Heald in terms of their production and what he was able to do uh, in the NBA. Having a, a pretty decent rookie year, Buddy Heald. So, yeah, Justin Jackson, I, I agree with you. I'd like to see someone take over for Marcus Morris as a starting small forward. I don't think that player – It. I think it was supposed to be Stanley Johnson. Yeah. I don't think it's going to be. So now we have to make another consideration as to who that player is going to be. 
uh, it's a shame with Stanley, and and we've we've talked before about what some of the issues are, and I think some of it is confidence and struggles to you know find a game offensively, and I think he's still young enough, and there's still enough time that while he's developing, he may be able to find a role as a, a rotation guy, but. It seems right now we definitely couldn't force anything onto him that he's not ready for um, because I, I see him kind of fighting for minutes next year depending on the way the rotation kind of shakes out for the Pistons. Yeah, it, he's got to be able to make shots. I mean, his shooting yeah. was just so bad this season. His defense, I think, is something to be really optimistic about. But, again, I'll come back to the point. The Pistons are a good defensive team and a terrible offensive team, so they've got to get players who can shoot the basketball. Yes, one of the few bright spots, and I actually I'll ask you if you, I'll start by asking, do you consider KCP a bright spot to this season? Uh, if you could take just the first sixty games, um, <laughs> you know he really stumbled into the finish for me. Yeah. Um, field goal percentage thirty nine percent, three point percentage thirty five percent, max contract. I, I don't. I I just don't see it, and it's hard for me to. Think about and evaluate KCP season in a vacuum. I am constantly evaluating in the context of he wants a post-rookie max contract. The Pistons are already third in the NBA in terms of their payroll. I know it's going to be really hard to replace them because you don't have many assets other than the mid-level exception. But if you max him out, like think about that. What you, What are you going to be able to do in the next three years to add the two or three pieces that you absolutely positively need in order to be a contender at this point. Um, So yeah, yeah. Bright spot in the sense that I think he did make some small steps, um, but I don't think those small steps were big enough to reward him with a a post rookie max. That's going to be basically like a set of handcuffs for the next four or five years that, I mean, I know there's a lot of fans who are going to disagree with me on that, and I, I get it because he's one of the guys who you want to cheer for, right? He's a guy like Kish Smith. He plays hard. He runs the floor hard. He defends hard. He's not selfish and all of those things, but his production is just still not there. Yeah, completely agree. I, I think you I think you consider him a bright spot on, another, on an otherwise disappointing season. Uh, but if this was last year and we were getting this type of production from KCP, I think we would be in a different situation. If the team was successful, Reggie and Andre had better seasons. I think you could make the argument that maybe KCP is even expendable. If you were trying to find just another shooter, uh, if you're just trying to find another shooter to put around Jackson and Drummond. Now that we're in the situation that we may be moving on from Jackson and, you know, stuck with Drummond, <laughs> I, I think KCP, our hands may be tied in terms of giving him that contract, or at least matching. Uh, but it will be interesting because being that he's a restricted free agent, when you have someone like Philly or Brooklyn this summer offer him just shy of $100 million on four years, what the Pistons are going to do. Uh, because they they might think right now that they have the upper hand that can offer 16 or $17 million to KCP. But there's going to be a team out there, last summer proved it, that will offer him a little bit more than maybe the, he's worth because they otherwise can't get a player of his caliber. We saw Brooklyn do it last year with Alan Crabb. is kind of the perfect example for Portland. And Portland was forced to match that contract. I see KCP being a similar situation this summer. And it's 
it's a cat and mouse game for the Pistons if they find themselves having to decide whether they, you know, match a, a deal like that. Uh, but is there is there any situation where you see him walking? Uh, well, you know, the Pistons hold all the cards, right? I mean, he could choose to stand pat, right? Like, he could choose to become an unrestricted free agent next summer if he wanted to. Um, I, I wouldn't rule that out. Um, you know, the thing is about about KCP is if he, if he becomes like a 38% three-point shooter like he was early in the season, he's an asset, right? He's a, he's a true 3 and D guy who's also explosive in transition. But three years from now, if he's on a post-rookie max and he's shooting 35% from deep, he's unmovable. I mean, you, you, can't, you can't move him, and you're stuck with a 35% from deep shooting guard. So it is a super hard decision. Um, and honestly, him become, opting to become an unrestricted free agent a year from now might be better for the Pistons because it gives them another year to evaluate. They just obviously lose the ability to, to match any offer as a restricted free agent. It's, uh, it's going to be ju- just following KCP this summer makes it a very interesting summer for Pistons fans. I think there's going to be a lot of moving parts this offseason, uh, and I can see KCP being one of the major headlines of the summer for the Pistons. You're right. There could be the decision to do nothing uh, and to at least push the decision and become an unrestricted free agent. We saw that with Greg Monroe. So it's not unprecedented even for this franchise in, you know, the last few seasons. So there's, there's very likely something like that could happen. Yeah. And you know, if the Pistons are committed to bringing him back, I would rather them let the market set his value and match an offer sheet as opposed to rushing forward the max contract. Because, you know, at least if he signs an offer sheet, you know there's at least one team out there that believes he's worth that sort of money uh, and he could potentially be a trade asset. So, you know, I, I think Bauer especially is pretty savvy, and I'd be surprised to see them rush to sign KCP. I, I, I would really be surprised if, if that were to happen. Yeah, I think I agree with that. You're right. There's nothing that to this point tells us that they would panic and sign him right away. Uh, so we've done a pretty good job of running down the roster. And yeah. we've, we've talked a bit about Stan Van Gundy. And one of the big talking points on sports radio over the last few weeks has been, you know, whether his job was safe. And I, I always thought that was a ridiculous conversation because it was way too early. We just made the playoffs last season. I've been a defender of Stan Van Gundy. I've become a defender of Stan Van Gundy, whether I want to or not, just because it seems a little ridiculous to get rid of him at this point. But next year, is it fair to say that he starts the season on the hot seat? I think so, yeah. I mean, I, I think twenty if 20 games in, they're – 13 and 17, he's, his, his pants are on fire at that point. There's no question about it. Because, it, you know, Goros wants to win, and he's willing to spend money to do it, and he's proved it time and time again. And look, next year, too, this is about the Pistons going back to Detroit. It's about trying to reestablish themselves as Detroit's basketball team. It, it, look, Detroit doesn't want a loser. Um, you know, there's going to be a certain bit of momentum. People are going to be interested in the new arena and all that. But that's only going to last for so long. The Pistons are going to need to put a winning product in the basketball court in order to put butts in the seats. And the owner, ultimately, that's what he's going to care about. 
Yeah, definitely. Moving into that new arena, that should also up the ante for Stan Van Gunny for next season. Uh, if there's one move, is is there one move you want to see us make this offseason? I'm not talking about players in particular, but just something you want to see this team add or subtract from the current roster. Well, I, I think it has to be shooting, and it, it could come at really one, two, or three, um, preferably two and three, assuming you know Reggie's not going to be immediately moved. Um, it has to be shooting. The Pistons have to get better shooters, and it, especially if they're committed to the Reggie-Andre pick-and-roll, they need better shooters in the starting lineup. Yeah, I, I would I would say shooting, and we have to address the point guard situation. That's the one thing I would like to see is, and I'm not even sure how, but I want this team to have a capable starting point guard for ne- for opening night next year. And I don't think it's Reggie Jackson. So if it's not, I'm I think we have to get really creative in how we kind of attack that position. Uh, but that's that's a test for for Stan and for for Jeff Bauer um, to figure that out. But you're right. Also, adding some shooting to this roster with the way the NBA is going, we cannot continue to be a team that wants to take uh, a bevy of threes and, and just not be able to make any of them. That that's a formula right now, at least offensively, we cannot win with uh, because no matter how good the defense has been this year, it hasn't been good enough to make up for those inefficiencies. And maybe that's good to see after a playoff season. And that's, that's I think, one of, one of the possible bright spots is we saw some inefficiencies with the way this roster was put together and with some of the players and personnel. So now we can kind of deconstruct some of the, you know, deconstruct the product we had last year and figure out what we need to change. Uh, and maybe we do a better job of that than if we would have made the playoffs. Yeah, that's a fair point. I think there's... There's a pendulum, and there's mistakes on either side of it. The first mistake would be blowing it up. I think it's premature. I, I think Andre Drummond is a good player. I think there are other good quality players on the roster. I think the other end of that spectrum would be sort of the stubbornness we've seen from Van Gundy as a coach, uh, seeing that stubbornness in him as a GM, and sort of doubling down on the guys he's invested the last few seasons into. There there has to be significant change, but I, I think they would be foolish to try to blow everything up, you know, and make a blockbuster deal to move Drummond, you know, unless it's a clearly advantageous trade for the Pistons. So I think they, they need to be really honest with themselves. They have some quality players that they might be attached to for a variety of reasons, but, but those guys' weaknesses are, are very pronounced. Uh, given the way they've chosen to play basketball and, and need to make some serious upgrades. Yes, and and that's the exciting part of at least this point in the season is going into an offseason like this where you have so many questions and there's, it, there, there's a bit of excitement again. And I, I don't know if all fans are feeling it right now just because the season just ended and it, it's it's tough to get up after, you know, you're not going to see your team in the playoffs. But... If you believe in the guys that are running the show, and I, I still believe in Stan Van and Jeff Bauer, then you you have to find some you know find the silver lining, and that's that's what I've been trying to look for recently, uh, because I just noticed a fan base get really jaded really quick, and I, I don't think we can do that on a team that 
you know, is still, I think, progressing in the right direction. You're right. We have a guy in Andre Drummond that is a good player and can be part of a championship team. I, I believe that now. Can he be your best player? Probably not. But can he be part of a team that, you know, can make a deep run into the playoffs? I, I think absolutely. I think we can see that with him. And now we just need to make the decision about basically the rest of the roster. Uh, but there are other teams that have much much more difficult decisions and would love to have a player like Andre Drummond uh, to at least think about on their roster. So it's a nice problem to have. Yeah, that's the. I mean, that's absolutely the. I think the optimistic way to look at it, and I think Pistons brass needs to keep some of that optimism in mind. Um, it was a hugely disappointing season, but all is not lost. The Pistons were. You know, a couple fluky wins, right? I mean, they lost to the Nets. They lost yeah. to the Sixers. Like, they were a couple games away, you know, games they absolutely should have won from sneaking into the eighth seed in spite of the fact that just about everything went wrong that could possibly go wrong, right? So, yes, there need to be changes. No, it's not time to have, you know, a, a fire sale and, and try to blow everything up. Um, just because, you know, we want to overreact to, to one losing season. So Ben has the idea of, and I'll have, I'll have you explain it, Ben, of comparing this roster to the rest of the East. Explain kind of what your thought is behind that as we start to focus on the playoffs. Yeah, so, you know, everyone who's followed the Detroit Bad Boys blog for a while knows that, you know, I lean towards analytic, and I, I like ranking players as objectively as we as we can, knowing that no objective measure is perfect. But sometimes I feel like the, the downside and the weakness with doing that is it becomes a little bit sort of ivory tower-ish, right? You're just sort of talking about these abstract concepts. They're divorced from what's happening on the court and a little bit divorced from reality. So I was thinking about, well, how could, how could we look at and evaluate the Pistons roster really specifically and concretely in context. So what we're going to do in the next two to three episodes, depending on you know how talkative we get about this and how many guests we're able to, to have on the show, is look at all of the Pistons starters, and maybe the six, seven, and eight guys on the roster as well. We'll see how it goes. But look at all of the Pistons starters, and then look at all of the teams that made the playoffs or, or maybe just fell short of the playoffs, and, and basically ask the question, would this Pistons starter start for that particular playoff team, right? So would Reggie Jackson start for the Boston Celtics and Isaiah Thomas? Would Marcus Morris start over LeBron James and the Cleveland Cavaliers? Two obvious no's, right? But I think what that would maybe allow us to do as fans is come to grips with the fact that we do have some shortcomings, even for these guys that we really love to cheer for, Instead of just trying to rate the entire NBA or the entire Eastern Conference, we're going to try to say, okay, well, where did these Pistons players fit in the context of this Eastern Conference this season? And it'll probably look a lot the same next season as well. And kudos to Jordan, who came with a uh, came up with a really fantastic title: Detroit versus everybody else in the Eastern Conference. And so that's what we're going to do over the next two to three episodes. Um, let us know what you think of it. Shout us out on the blog. Hit us up on Twitter. And then let us know if we get it wrong or let us know if we get it right uh, as the episodes start rolling out. 
Yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to this. And it's something that, as we start to watch playoff basketball, will be fun to follow. Uh, and we'll be rolling it out the next few weeks here. So I hope everyone looks forward to that. And much like last off season, this podcast will stay active throughout the off season, uh, previewing the draft, talking about free agency, and bringing on some of the you know usual cast of DBBers to talk about all things Detroit Pistons as well. So uh, we have an exciting off season coming up for the pod, and it's going to start with this Detroit versus everybody else. Uh, so I, I'm looking forward to that. And Ben, I know we'll be uh, talking soon. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, thanks to everyone who supported us and, and downloaded and streamed and listened to the podcast. Uh, we appreciate you. Um, we don't always get the chance to talk in the comments as much as we'd like to, especially me right now, you know, a little five-month-old daughter at home. I've been not as much of a comment feed as I'd like to be, but uh, thanks to everyone for supporting us. And, you know, hopefully this podcast helps all of us get through the summer doldrums um, when, God, baseball is on it. I hate baseball. So for those of you like me, hopefully the the pod gives you something to uh, keep your NBA whistle wet as the uh, the summer happens. That's right. Oh.